to Ballard Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the one, the only, Big Fat Drunk. How are you doing tonight, BFT? Woo! <laughs> well, BFT, did you know that Name Redacted is really, really bad at playing professional quarterback? I had no idea, man. I mean, after watching him as a Texan, I really had no idea he was a bad quarterback. I, you know, I was his number one fan all the way. I had just absolute and total blind faith in Bill O'Brien and Rick Smith making the, the best decision they possibly could. And, and, in fact, I went back and listened to the, the podcast after we signed him. And, and both of us, Big Matt, neither of us liked that signing, dude. <laughs> See, I feel like I liked it at the time. As a way, it's just like they finally actually did something. And so it was more like a desperation thing. Like, uh, you know, not having a girlfriend for like four years or something, finally having a girlfriend. And even if she's terrible and awful, I was just so excited to have a girlfriend. Like, that sort of like is how I liked, I, I liked him at the time. But I think I, I don't think I hated it, you know. And also, I didn't really watch him play enough to have a big, like, big smart brain opinion on him uh, just about yet either, too. Yeah, no, I mean, it, that's what your like was. It was a very qualified like, and mine was more like this guy's thrown like two good passes his entire career, and that's his entire career. And uh, it was just kind of funny listening to us from, from that podcast. And and then you liked him after the first game. I think we beat the Chiefs that game, if I remember correctly. I think it was the, the Bears. The Bears, that's right, the Bears. Okay. Yeah. And then you liked him after that game, and then it headed down south for both of us pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Once we played – Patriots it was over yeah I remember that one a lot more because that was the game where they finally played two safeties deep and he couldn't throw the ball downfield to the sideline one-on-one coverage and let Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins just make great catches and once teams started playing you know covering the deep passes everything was just four yards because he didn't have the short-term accuracy to be able to be a competent quarterback at all and then it just spiraled out of control from there yeah but I tell you what Adam Gase to his credit Knew what he had, knows what he has with Brock Osweiler, right? The whole game plan was to, and we talked about it last week, the whole game plan is to get the ball out of his hands so he cannot make decisions and then he doesn't have to throw the ball like across the line of scrimmage, right? It was when he started, had to do that is when he got into a lot of trouble. When he was throwing the screens and let those guys, you know, break tackles, they were, they were pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had, entering this game, he had six touchdowns and two interceptions. He had that enormous game against the Bears where Albert Wilson just broke, like, four tackles and outran guys and turned to Tariq Cohen and had two enormous long touchdown uh, catches. And, you know, the way it works is that the quarterback gets credit for those yards and he gets credit for that touchdown and all he did was throw a five-yard pass that the guy turned into 70 additional yards. And so his stats are really misleading entering this game, I think this game you kind of saw more what you're expected of uh, with name redacted, where he's going to throw the ball short a lot, he's going to throw it quick, and if there's any pressure at all, he can't get away from it. As long as you don't let him hit, like, you know, two or three downfield throws or even one downfield throw, you'll be okay. And even then, like, his downfield accuracy, I think, has gotten so much worse. Like, he throws the seam routes now where 
you have no idea where the ball is even ending up. He throws those uh, fade routes on the sideline where it just ends up out of bounds like Tom Savage loves to do. <laughs> like 10, and, 12 yards out of bounds, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he's hitting the ball guy in the, in the head. Or he also, he's also really good throwing it out of bounds, like way over throwing somebody's head. Or like the linebacker on the sideline catches him with one hand and is surprised the ball came to him, you know. Yeah, it's it's comical. I mean, th- that game was like flashback city. Like every Houston Texans fan should get like five free PTSD sessions after <laughs> watching that game on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. I don't think even that would be enough to cover the therapy if they lost. But uh, the difference is this week that they won a game that Namor Jackson was playing in. But I guess they still went 9-7 that year he was there. Uh, and they even won games with Tom Savage coming in to relieve them, which everybody was excited for. And it's amazing how, uh, how quickly life can change. So they've ruined his homecoming. They stole a suit jacket. They've ruined his Chili's reservation. They tore apart his mums. And they end up turning a 28-20 game into a 42-23 and so I know, BFT, we've been frustrated even during the wins because of how close the wins were or these games were, you know, 2013, they should have been 37-13 or 37-20. Um, you know, the game against Jackson was a good example where they almost like Cody Kessler, you know, dink and dunk enough to make that into a ball game. The game against the Bills should have been a blowout. The game against the Cowboys should have been a blowout. The game against the Colts should have been a blowout. But they kept these, you know, media, these bad mediocre teams around and turn games into something that Bears team could possibly steal when they had no business doing so. But in this game, Houston actually went for it. They kicked down the doors. Uh, they blew Miami out. And they actually turned this into a, a no-doubt, no-brainer win. Uh, so do you feel any better at all about this team, that they actually did some teeth kicking in and actually you know, went out and uh, detonated the opponent? Yeah, it's a start. I mean, it's what it is. It's um, you know, we can talk about, we're going to talk a little bit more about the details of the game itself, but just actually putting up six touchdowns and not six field goals in a game is by itself a, a relief, right? It's like, finally, this team can score touchdowns. Finally, Akimi Fairbairn is not our MVP, offensively at least. And so it was good to finally get one of those under our belts. Now, talking about how we were successful, the offensive line looked a lot better with the caveat that the Dolphins pass rush is straight trash. That um, two of the uh, touchdowns scored were just horribly blown coverages. I mean, have you ever seen a guy start to complain to another guy, defensive player, about that he blew his coverage during the play? <laughs> that was straight. That was comedy. That was comedy yeah. gold right there. And then uh, the uh, touchdown to Hopkins later on, uh, the 49-yarder was absolutely blown coverage as well. There's nobody close to him. So two of the touchdowns were seriously blown coverage. On the other hand, he had a pass to uh, Jordan Thomas. Uh, that was beautiful. He had a, uh, For a touchdown, he had a pass, another pass to Jordan Thomas, uh, the two-yarder, which he, he you know, made the play with his feet. And he had a two-yard pass to DeAndre Hopkins. So he performed deep in the red zone. So while you can say, you know, yes, we, we got a couple of easy scores out of it, but we also got a couple of, couple of tough scores out of it, and that's what was great to see, Matt. Yeah, yeah, because they had three red zone trips in this game. They scored three touchdowns. Uh, the Hawkins one was cool because it was kind of those things where earlier in the year you're like, why is O'Brien making this so difficult, you know? Get DeAndre Hopkins the ball in the red zone. He's one of the best red zone receivers out there. I love make plays, and they ran that play action, hit him on the slant, where he just – be Zayvon Howard, you know, immediately. And Howard was looking like a top five cornerback to start the year off when 
the Jets are playing, you know, wide receivers like Robbie Anderson, those sorts of guys. And he's now looks like the you know 15th best cornerback in the league now that the schedule is a little bit more tougher for the Dolphins. But he's still a, 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 a really good cornerback, and he made him look silly. I think my favorite touchdown pass, though, was the one that you mentioned with his legs, they found Thomas, where there was really nothing open at all. And uh, Watson goes scrambling to the left. And, like, he tucks the ball, and you're like, no, 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 please don't do it. Don't lower your shoulder and try to go through, you know, four guys to try to score and uh, explode again. Please don't do it. And then say he pulled back, and he was able to create a throwing lane, create an opening for uh, Jordan Thomas and, and hit him on a, a nice short little touchdown. And that's one of my favorite touchdowns of it, just because in the red zone, things are so tight. Things may not – things have to get open immediately for a lot of those route combinations. And when they are, this would make savvy a quarterback like Watson so great, where he can be able to create time, create space, create throwing lanes, and make something out of nothing where uh, a pure po- pocket passer quarterback, you know, maybe doesn't have a touchdown that situation, throws away and sells for three. And so that was my favorite touchdown of the bunch. But I think that was kind of the big difference in this game was just the fact that when they win the red zone, they scored three touchdowns and there was no, you know, kick field goal, kick field goal, kick field goal. Which made which limit points and you made the same closer than ever should have been, like how it was against the Cowboys, for example. Yeah, and there were a couple of games yesterday uh, on Sunday that you know teams were kicking field goals and they were kicking two or three to jump out to a lead, like that's much of a lead because it just takes one touchdown, and the other team is not only back in it but possibly ahead. And we see this repeatedly in the NFL. You have to score touchdowns. Field goals are not cute. They're not fun. They're not pretty you have to score TDs and you have to do what you, you need to do in order to do that because you're just wasting trips to the other side of the field if you're just constantly kicking field goals. And our red zone efficiency is like, you know, Hummer gas mileage efficient. And we, it's not acceptable. Yeah, and, and I, I think another thing that's important about that thought too about kicking field goals and going for it is a lot of people tend to forget that with the, the opponents can get the ball back. The opponent's going to score points. It's not like their point score is going to stay stagnant as you try to catch up and make your comeback and that sort of thing. And so that has to be factored into the decision to go aggressive for those points too. Um, after this game, do you feel any more confident about the red zone offense? And I guess even going back to the previous week in Jacksonville where they scored two red zone touchdowns, are you more confident that they've kind of solved their red zone woes and it will be, uh, continue to be a strength for this team as the future goes on? You have to. I have more hope, at least. I mean, again, there was nothing from the from the play design, the game design, that really gave me any faith. I mean, like I said, there's a couple of, of broken plays, and Deshaun Watson was able to do more stuff with his feet. The game, the uh, play calls were slightly better. So hopefully, you know, we're seeing that that the team, you know, Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator and Deshaun Watson as the quarterback are seeing what's working. You know, Watson was holding on to the ball way too long again on Thursday. That's all there is to it. There's no argument there. Uh, a couple of broken plays were successful because of that. But what happened was, and I want to really stress this, is the offensive line looked a lot better on Thursday. They looked uh, like they were working together a lot better. Yes, Davenport was still struggling with the outside speed rush. But that was for me. If, if those two things can start to work together, getting the offensive line playing better, getting the Sean Watson where he's – pulling the trigger a little bit faster and a little bit better play calling then you know, we're starting to see the unicorns, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being able to run the ball in the red zone is, you know, such a crucial thing where you have to be able to create vertical movement 
you know, stalemates, stagnant blocks, horizontal movement doesn't really help in the red zone. You have to move the you have to move the line of scrimmage up uh, when the boxers are, are that heavy. And one of the things that's really worked out well in the red zone are those inside zone plays where Nick Martin and Greg Manks are getting ace blocks, and they consistently move in the first level. And Manks has done a really good job at blocking the linebackers. I know Lamar Miller had another good game this week. I think the biggest reason for Miller's resurgence these past two weeks is that the Texans are actually blocking linebackers in the second level. And this is something they've struggled doing since you know, 2015. They had that last time they had a great offensive line. Uh, the offensive line that block for Brian Hoyer was really good. And this was the, you know, like the first time at Walden I've actually noticed them actually getting to the second level making their blocks. I think in the red zone this week, the same as last week, it makes a really good job getting to that second level to open up Lamar Miller. And I think throughout the game in general, uh, everybody on the, on the offensive line did a pretty good job at getting to that second level to help them you know, create those third, those third uh, level runs, those open field runs that have been so far so hard for them to come by uh, previously. And so I know right now for the Texans in red zone offense DVA, they were you know thirty first. They were thirty first about the time of the Bills game. They're twenty ninth right now, and they've gone from I think thirtieth to twenty fourth in pass offense DVA. So like in DVA, they really haven't gotten that much better. But I think because the beginning of the year was so bad and they were so far in the negative, that's going to take until like you know week sixteen probably for these things to balance out. But also red zone touchdown rates are one of those things that tends to fluctuate year to year too. And so this is kind of like another thing with the one position games are balancing themselves out immediately this year rather than next year too. Yeah, and, and I want to talk about just focusing on Greg Manx for just a moment. Is On Lamar Miller's first TD run, uh, I guess this is his only TD run of the game. Yeah. Uh, on that TD run, I mean, Greg Manx hit a defensive lineman and got to a linebacker within a two-yard run. I mean, when was the last time you saw somebody that active on the offensive line get to that second level? It's just we haven't seen it. And it, it, Greg Manx made that touchdown, you know, single-handedly. He just – he blocked everybody on that play. It was wonderful to see. It was exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah, Manx is, is a really, like, mobile guy. I think he'd be so much better in, like, a pure outside zone scheme as, like, a center in outside zone scheme. But, you know, they're using him as his third interior blocker. And he's been awesome this year. And, you know, it's kind of weird, too, because it's like, where do you play him? And the fact that you pay Fulton as much as you did, you pay Calamente for a problem, kind of like just a one-year contract. Nick Martin's a second-year guard. And you have this guy, here's a UDFA. He resigned for three years on my salary. And uh, I think that Houston's kind of struggling if they want to play him more or not uh, based off how well he's played these last two weeks. But the offensive line has been better. And it's also was a lot better against uh, – Jacksonville's front seven, that's still really good, even if the results haven't been as good lately. And then also against the Dolphins defense, that's pretty bad, but uh, it still looks a lot better than it has previously, even against other bad defenses for Houston's run game too. Yeah, I mean, the, the best comp I can come up with for Greg Manx is Chris Myers. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't think he's as quick as him, but I think he's stronger than Myers is. Str- stronger than Myers, not as quick, not as good at yeah, move, getting down the field. Chris Myers was a fantastic center to watch. I miss him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure he makes you uh, – yeah. And also, they liked about Chris Myers is how quick he reached the outside shoulder too. Like every single time he was right there and able to turn and wall guys off. And that's a block that you have to make whenever you're running the outside zone is that center has to reach the outside shoulder and turn the pads over. Yep. 
and then also on the offensive line too, like Watson, I don't believe was sacked this game. I know he, I think he broke only two tackles in the backfield compared to like six and seven in previous games. And part of this also is just the Dolphins' pass rush is bad. Robert Quinn's their best pass rusher, and he's been okay this year. Technically, he's still great with all the swims and rips and hand usage. He just doesn't have that same explosion that whenever he gets around the block, he's able to close the gap between him and the quarterback that well. And then Cameron Wake is just – I think he's too old. He's been too injured. And even though he's from a different planet, I think uh, he's finally it's – it's finally getting close to that time where he's going to head home. But, uh, again, like Houston still did things to help out on the edges. They were still chipping once again with Jordan Thomas and Jordan Akins. They were chipping again with their running backs. They were running more play action. They were running more interesting sort of interesting-looking run plays, even though they're not using Watson as a runner at all, and it's all a facade whenever they're run, you know, faking the zone read and that sort of thing. But even just showing the look of it is, keep, is slowing defenders down too. And so that helped out as well. So I, I don't think the, the pass blocking is going to be very good this week against Denver, but at least Houston's going to do things and they show that they're doing things to help out, you know, Lamb and Davenport on the outside against uh, the better pass rushers in football and then slow down their cadences and those sorts of things compared to how they were playing to start the year off too. Yeah, and that's all, we, you know, everybody thinks that you and I are so negative. It's so hilarious. People think you're a, a Titans fan too, which is just completely asinine. But um, – that's all we've asked for. All we've asked for is to do the right thing when it comes to keeping your franchise quarterback clean. We've talked about it for years on this program. The key to winning football is to get the other quarterback dirty and keep your quarterback clean. There's some roughness around those edges, obviously. But now that we're keep, keeping Deshaun Watson clean, uh, he throws more touchdown passes than he has incompletions in a game. It's kind of important to keep your guy clean. And with J.J. Watt coming back and being disruptive, that is making a huge difference for the defense. So, you know, we just asked for Bill O'Brien to do things a little bit more smart, like chipping and helping out your tackles who are struggling. And so we have seen that kind of evolution. So when we talk about the opening question, are you feeling better about this offense? The answer is yes, because they're finally doing what we freaking were saying. They should be doing the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been better. It's been better to see. I think also, like, you know, Lamb is better at right tackle than Davenport was at right tackle, and Davenport's better at left tackle than Rankin was at left tackle. And so I think also getting guys in, in better spots too is helpful. Uh, I, you and I both agree that we'd rather see Rankin at right tackle. I don't know if he'd play as well as Lamb is playing right now. Like Lamb is being like completely uh, unspectacular and barely, you know, good enough to play the position. But that's still maybe more than what Rankin can do at right tackle right now. But you're at least giving a guy, you know, reps for the future. And uh, so I understand why they're playing Lamb. I really see Rankin for, you know, those reasons. And also, emotionally, I'm biased. I have a, a heart, heart and blood and guts, you know, tied into Rankin being a really good football player because I liked him a lot in Mississippi State. And yeah, I would like to see him out there, but probably next year we'll, uh, we'll see him playing a little bit more, especially after having a full training camp and a full preseason. And then also Houston maybe realizing that, you know, he can't play left tackle in the NFL. I think that's the big one. Y'all have to remember Rankin missed almost the entire preseason. Then we threw him out there in a position he shouldn't have been at. So, you know, let's just keep the perspective of this. We have this, – this is not like the New York Giants team. We're not throwing a bunch of slubs out there who ain't going to improve. We have some true talent across that offensive line. And this time next year, that might be a very, very good offensive line. 
Yeah. And even by like, you know, week 16, week 17, this may be a, a good offensive line too. Who knows how that changes. And also unlike the giants, they're not paying Nate Solder, you know, $15 million a year to be completely mediocre and, uh, and still do things like get beat by Michael Bennett instantly, which leads to strip sacks in your own, in your own end zone. And, uh, and those sorts of things So you're only paying Julian Davenport uh, 600,000 for the similar things to occur anyways. Yeah, and signing Zach Fulton was a good move. Signing Calamente was a great move. Well, maybe. I, yeah. I am still hopeful that Calamente will be better than he was. I really liked him with the Saints last year. I just think it's just he needs to get there. Um, but, yeah, this is going to be not a sucky offensive line. We've been saying yeah. it all season. These, just give them some time. They're going to get better. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've – I know that you've been talking about that all year and you've let me being more of a, a patient man instead of being so like, shoot them all into the sun. They suck. I hate them. Get rid of them all. And it's led to me just kind of like, yeah, you know, he's entirely right. None of these guys to play next to anybody else. They're super young too. And, and uh, they need some time to gel together a little bit longer as well. Uh, the one super, so like this game was fun on offense. Lamar Miller had another great game. The offense line was better. They blocked the second level well. Uh, Miller, I think, had more than 100 yards rushing again, including you know, one astronomically long rush as well. Watson threw five touchdowns. He had zero turnovers for the second week in a row, which is hugely important. And I think that's another one of the keys to the offense is whenever they play against teams that have to run the ball to score, as long as Watson doesn't turn the ball over and give away points, Houston should be able to win these games you know, pretty easily. And uh, also, you know, DeAndre Hopkins had, like, an all-time great Hopkins game, especially that under legs one-handed catch that I haven't seen since, yeah, since Vince Carter in uh, 1990, I guess, or maybe 2001 or so. I think that was post-90s. But anyways, as far as all that was, there was something really sad in this game. And I guess on defense, there's two sad things as well. But uh, Will Fuller tore his ACL on downfield heave and ended up passing interference penalty, which then led to a, a Watson touchdown pass. And Fuller did more than you know, break out so far this season. He's been an epidemic. He's had 32 catches on 45 targets, which is a catch rate of 71.9%. His highest catch rate as a rookie was about 26% less than his this year. And so he's jumped from you know 51.5% away to 71.9%. Uh, and then his catch rate's even better than was last year too, which there's a smaller dip. But usually when you're throwing a Fuller, it's about 50-50% chance that a catch was actually going to happen. Also, he's had 503 yards and was averaging 15.7 yards a catch, too. And he's been you know, absolutely incredible this year, uh, pretty much impossible to cover. And even if you just have him run downfield often enough, you're eventually going to hit him at least one time. And in this game, he tore his ACL. There's a pass interference only called on it. And it, Houston was only up by 12 at the time. So I'm not, like, upset that he was in the game and that they threw it to him downfield. He got hurt. You know, accidents happen, I guess. and. Yeah, a 12-point game, the game's far from over, especially in this post-modern NFL where uh, leads don't mean anything at all and there's no repercussions for anybody's actions. But uh, I guess I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, and it's all coming to this final ultimate conclusion of a question, BFD. Uh, do you think this is something that Will Fuller can recover from? Definitely. It's, you know, we, we've talked about it with Deshaun Watson's ACL tear, that they aren't like they used to be. So... Fuller may not be a four two eight thirty kind of guy, but he's going to still be a four two, or he's going to be a four three five four four forty kind of guy. He's still going to have very elite speed. He will be able to come back from this. Uh, what I've enjoyed this much about him 
what I've enjoyed about him this season is that his route running has become far better. He's really maturing as far as that aspect goes. Um, this is a big loss. I, I just don't – there's no nice way to put it. We're going to talk about the, the uh, trade we made today a little bit later. It is literally impossible to go pick another wide receiver like like Will Fuller out and go trade for him. I mean, the guys that, that might be available are guys like J.J. Nelson, maybe Deshaun Jackson, who doesn't run routes as well. This is a very difficult guy to replace. The question coming out when he was coming out of college for Fuller was that, will his body hold up? And unfortunately, that's not looking so well. But this is an ACL. This is kind of an expected injury when you're a pro football player. So hopefully he's able to come back from this. His knee is going to be stronger. But at this rate, you know, he missed two games this rookie season. He missed six last year. He's going to miss nine this year. So he's going to wind up being at 31 out of 48 possible games his first two years. So, you know, it would be nice to have him healthy. But um, I do think he's going to come back and, and ultimately be close to the same player he was, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the key what you said was that instead of running like a 4-3-40, he's going to run a 4-4-40. And so you're kind of expecting – no matter how great uh, science is nowadays and how well they can fix knees up, you're still expecting for there to be some loss of speed whenever an injury like this happens and something's re- repaired like this as well too. But with Fuller, when you have a guy who's as fast as he is, the margin of error, and I guess the, the, whenever he starts to get a little bit slower, there is a big difference between, uh, like, let's say, Demarius Thomas towards ACL. And that's a, probably like a career-ending injury for a guy who's not the fastest guy. I like Fuller, who's a... And, you know, like you flip, on, you flip on the light, and that's Will Fuller out there on the football field. And so because he, ha- he has so much speed already, they're not going to – he'll be a little bit slower, but it won't be an enormous you know, difference. And not enough of a difference that's going to, I think, affect him long term where he will be able to outrun defensive backs off the line scrims like he's been doing this year. Yeah, and, and, you know, once again, context. When Demarius Thomas came out of Georgia Tech, he ran a four three eight forty. You know, he don't do that anymore. It's just mm-hmm. what happens. The body gets old. He's 31 or two years old now. So, you know, you have to adapt your game accordingly. You know, we saw Des Bryant. Des Bryant's no longer even in the league. And it's not because, um, you know, he can still play. Or it's because he's, he can't play football. He's not a good football player. He was not able to separate at all the last couple of years. And those 50-50 balls are now 30-70 balls because he doesn't have the leaps anymore. So, you know, this is what happens with the body. It breaks down as you get older. Believe me, I can vouch for that. And uh, so, but the, the good news is, is that Will Fuller's route running has become better. So he's still going to be, I think, a very valuable weapon for a good five more years if he can stay healthy. Yeah. And it was already been reported that he already had his surgery this week. He should be ready by training camp sometime next year. The surgery takes either six months to nine months to fully recover from. So you'll expect to, to get Instagram videos of Will Fuller stretching his knee out and running up sandcastles and uh, actually playing football about the same time as football starts again in 2019. So uh, that's good news too. Now I know that you talked about his body, you know, along with his body, the drops were the two concerns about Fuller coming out of college. The drops seem to be corrected. I think mm-hmm. he only had like one this year and that wasn't something I was expecting. Uh, and also like he actually goes up and catches the ball with his hands in, out in front of him instead of just cradling everything into him like a baby you know, being tossed out of a burning building. Uh, but the injury concerns are still here. Already in his career, he's broken his collarbone. He's had dealt with hamstring issues as well, too, now with this ACL. 
Uh, so do you think Fuller's ever going to play like a whole season and have like that 1,400-yard, 10-touchdown season where he's week in, week out just destroying defenses? Or is he just going to be this cute thing that kind of pops in and out and uh, but is never healthy enough to be always successful and always relied upon? I think he's at one point he's going to have a season that's going to be just absolutely ball-busting. It's going to be 90 catches at, at you know, 16 yards a catch. So it's going to be like 1,500 yards. And it's going to be – there's going to be 12 touchdowns. He's going to have one season like that, I think, that's just going to be absolutely incredible because that's – he's kind of that profile that has that one outlier kind of season. But he's he's got to – he's got to be healthy. And the soft tissue injuries have been a real problem for him too. So maybe they can work on that. We have a new strength coach now. So uh, I hope the best for him. But, again, that was his knock. The drops – look, look, this is what he's done. He's, he's gotten better at running routes. I know a lot of people said, oh, he's a great route runner coming out of college. No, he really wasn't. He just ran every route. They just weren't very good. Yeah. And then number two, the drops, which he's corrected. So two of the three things he has corrected as a pro. So hopefully, and again, injuries are a skill. Hopefully he can, he can do better with that skill. Yeah. I, I, think, I think for sure, too, he'll have one of those insane years where he has like 12 touchdowns and 1,600 yards and averages like 16 yards of reception. I think he at least he has at least one of those in him. Uh, next year is going to be his fourth year, so Houston still has him for a cheat next year, and then his fifth year option. Whenever he jumps to twelve million, uh, that there'll be some questions if that will be picked up or not. Whenever that occurs, but as of right now, like the skill he has and this sort of injury is expected, he'll be okay, and he'll be in Houston for at least two more years. And hopefully, that happens here. I could so totally see Will Fuller ended up in like Baltimore though, and just like running down the field in the middle you know, down the middle of the field, kind of like John Brown's doing with Flacco. Uh, I could see him doing something like that as well. But hopefully it happens in Houston. That's still a long ways away, you know. Yeah, and Will Fuller is a far better receiver than John Brown, I think. Yeah, yeah, he is. I'm just – I am so glad that, that John Brown's a, a real active part of my life again. <laughs> He's a fun guy to watch. I mean, what's there not to like about John Brown? Yeah. I also just like – I always say in my head, John Brown's body – yeah. <laughs> how they say it in Tyus and Drawing Kisses the Monitor. And so every time I see I just have that lyric just hit me in the head over and over again. And so oh, that's always God. super enjoyable too. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't, it's always a good CD to listen to. Tyus and Drawing Kisses the Monitor. It's like a concept album or involving the Civil War but relates to present-day New Jersey. And there's a lot of like Civil War hymns and stuff turned into guitar solos and that sort of thing. And uh, it's super cool, though. Very nice. So, now uh, that's enough music stuff, I guess. I don't know. But the Texans did trade for Demarius Thomas today. They gave a fourth-round pick, and they also got a seventh-round pick for Thomas, too. Uh, the Broncos right now are three and 3-5. Thomas is owed $14 million next year. So, Broncos probably going to keep him around after the season anyways. So, why not get something for him? And it's not like Demarius Thomas is – the loss of him is going to affect, you know, the Denver season at all. And they also have Cortland Sutton, uh, Sutton out there too. And he's an outside receiver. He's not an inside receiver. And that will allow him to get more snaps. And uh, so it's kind of a win-win for both teams. The idea here for Houston is that Demarius Thomas is going to be able to replace Floor on the outside. They can keep Kiki Cutie on the inside. And I think it's one of those cases where – it's impossible to replace Fuller's production, especially at this point in the year. All you kind of want to do is get something adequate that can get first downs, which I think Thomas can still do. 
But I think the most important thing about this trade is that it keeps Cutie on the inside. He's not an outside receiver. He doesn't have the body to be able to box out guys and and catch those first downs where the ball's coming you know farther away in that distance. I think he would it would be just a, not a good thing if he's playing on the outside consistently. And so whenever Cutie's healthy again, it'll keep him on the inside. And Houston doesn't have to play Sammy Coates and Vincent Smith, you know, uh, 35 snaps each to play wide receiver number two. So I thought it was a, I thought it was a great trade, all things considered. It's not going to replace Will Fuller. Nothing Houston could do could replace Will Fuller. But I think it softens the blow of the ACL injury. And also I don't think Houston had to give up a whole lot to make this happen. Uh, I still would have preferred Golden Tate for a third-round pick because I think Tate's a much better receiver. And he offers a lot as a yards-after-catch guy. He can actually catch screens and those sorts of things. But at this point, uh, complain about the difference between the two, you know, a fourth and a third, and the difference between what each one can offer. Even though Tate would be better, uh, I don't think it's going to be like a, an enormous difference between Thomas and Tate at this point. Uh, I'll disagree with that. I think Tate would have been far better. But that said, if you are the Houston Texans, you absolutely have, I think you have to be excited about this trade um, for exactly the reasons you said. Cutie stays on the inside. Look, Demarius Thomas, speaking of drops, is going to drop a lot of freaking balls. That's kind of his reputation on the active list. He's like in the top probably, or I guess the bottom, like 5%. He's like one of the worst wide receivers that's active about dropping passes. He's something like 115th out of 135. Yeah. He's terrible about dropping passes. Yeah, and he has six drops right now this year uh, as well, too. Tied for second. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's going to drop a lot of balls. And that's just all there is to it. But what he does bring is he's going to be big. He's basically going to be a poor man's DeAndre Hopkins, where he's, he doesn't have the speed anymore, but he's got the body size. He's going to drop a lot of passes. He's going to win by boxing out and winning tight uh, space type you know, passes. He's not going to win by creating separation at all at this point. So um, he just kind of is what he is, but unless you get Golden Tate, which would have been awesome, then this is the next best thing there was out there, and it's really not even close. So love the trade. I love the aggressiveness by Brian Gain. We gave up a whopping fourth-round pick for him, and we swapped seventh-round picks. Look, well done, Brian. That's all I've got to say. Well done. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I agree with that as well, too, and it really wasn't a whole lot. And I think it's just like they need a guy who can reliably get first downs and also, teams are, it's going to be a lot harder for Hopkins now moving forward that Will Fuller. I don't think there's going to be any problems at all for them to double-team Hopkins on the outside and to shade him over that direction. You can play one-on-one coverage against Thomas. The difference is with Thomas, for like Sammy Coates or Vincent Smith, you have a greater percentage chance of him actually getting open and him uh, creating first bounds. And I, I, I do agree, too, that Tate would be a lot better than Thomas. I just don't think it's going to make or break the season if you give up a third-round pick for Tate compared to giving up uh, a fourth-round pick for Thomas. I think, you know, unless this defense gets super healthy or this offense starts scoring, you know, 35 points a game, uh, just extrapolating right now way on to the future, like into January, I still don't really see this team being able to beat, like, New England or Kansas City or the Chargers or Steelers in the playoffs just because whenever they play against teams that spread them out and have, you know, four wide receivers – the Texans just don't have the quarterback depth, I think, to, to run with that. And unless they score, you know, four or two points, that's going to be like kind of the – or the pass rush is just absolutely phenomenal. I don't really see them uh, catching up and sticking around against those sort of teams too. Yeah, and, you know, 
when we talk about this team, we talk about the rest of the season. You look at the schedule. We play Case Keenum, Alex Smith, Marcus Mariota, Baker Mayfield, Andrew Luck, Sam Darnold. That game, I wonder if Darnold might have like six turnovers that game. I'm going <laughs> to enjoy that game. I did not like Darnold coming out. Uh, the Eagles and Carson Wentz, and once again, Blake Bortles. We play like one decent passing team the rest of the season. This team might go 12 and uh, 12 and four in the regular season and get blown out in the first playoff game because everybody who's going to make the playoffs actually has a passing game. That's what's going to be crazy about the season, Matt. I don't know. I think it's a potential because our, we haven't talked about sadness number two, but Jonathan Joseph, what's, you know, with him getting hurt too, is he going to be banged up? How's he going to be the rest of the season? So, mm-hmm. We're going to win a lot of games in the regular season, and in the playoffs, we're going to be in a lot of tr- trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, so far ahead of the, ahead, and also like this season's not over yet, and this playoffs wise and locked up. This division hasn't won yet. It just seems kind of obvious the problems that Jacksonville's having. The Titans still didn't add any wide receiver help at all. Mariota hasn't been good this year. Even their pass protection hasn't been good lately, and that was the best part of this team to start off the year. And their defense is. You know, it's good. It's better than the mediocre was last year. But it's not, it's not enough to be able to carry you uh, to wins. And the Colts throw the ball a lot, but they're not super efficient or effective with it. So they're still probably like a year away. And so you're kind of expecting for this division to be won. I don't think it's even get in that Week 17 game against Jacksonville at all. The Jack schedule is too tough. I think they've lost too much on offense. Their defense has just regressed too much naturally. And now the boys out too, that hurts them a lot. Uh, but I don't. I, I mean, it's kind of locked up. And then, you know, it's already at this point, whenever you see that, you see the schedule, you kind of look ahead in the future and just all the possible playoff teams aside from the Ravens. And even the Ravens, Flacco's been like, what, the 14th best quarterback this year instead of the 30th best quarterback. Right. And they're, they're much, and their defense is just as good as Houston's. It's, I mean, I would say their defense is even better because of how much better pass defense they have. They actually have quarterbacks and safety. Well, they, Houston's safeties, but they actually have good quarterback play there. And so, like, unless you're matching up against Baltimore, I think that's, like, the one matchup that helps you. That's probably Houston's best matchup in the playoffs. And, again, that's all so far away. But even Cincy, the Chargers, the Steelers, uh, the Chiefs, and the Patriots, those are all spread out throwing the ball at football teams. And I think all of those teams are going to be exactly gives Houston trouble, like how they played against the the Giants and the Patriots uh, to start this year off. Yep, I agree. And the the two teams I don't want to face defensively are the Seahawks and the Bears right now. The Bears are absolutely terrifying. They're fifth in pass defense and third in rush. And Khalil Mack didn't even freaking play last week. Yeah, and they were first for the first month of the season in pass defense DVOA. And now that Max will be banked up, they've really kind of dropped off all the way to to fifth, you know, which is like stubbing your toe uh, for pass defense. Yeah, and we just – we shine against the run. Yeah. So with the schedule that's lining up, nobody can throw the ball. So I think Matt now would be a good good time to uh, go to commercial, and let's come back and talk about Case Keenum. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, and we're back. So we're gonna now we're gonna talk about the defense and uh, talk about Case Keenum as well too. Now I know in the defense in this Miami game, I don't think I have a whole lot to say about it mainly because it's the same sort of team Houston's good at playing against, like we talked about last week, whenever they play the Jaguars, where if a team has to run the ball to have success, 
they're not going to score a lot of points against Houston. They have the best run defense in football this year. You can't really run it in any direction at all. They have Reader who can take on you know two or three blocks. Law and Clowney are probably the two most disruptive run defenders in football right now. I think Clowney is probably the most disruptive run defender in football. He just does things in the run game I've never seen all before. And then on top of that, you have Bernard McKinney and Zach Cunningham in the middle, and they're great chase, chase down tackle uh, players too. And then you have Merciless on the outside, who's also a good run defender who's been playing better of late. I don't think he has a – he deserves a PFF grade of 92 or whatever it was he got recently. And, uh, he's been playing better too. So whenever they play against teams that have to run the ball a lot like Miami, you just kind of know they're going to struggle. And like we were talking about earlier with the way the schedule set up, like really the only super pass-heavy team is the Colts, and they're not super efficient with it all. They just throw the ball a lot. But they're not a great passing offense at all by any means. The Eagles are fine, but they're not a great passing offense either. And they're everybody else, they have to run the ball to have success. So I think every single time Houston plays one of these games, the defense is going to be really good. And it's going to be fun, but I guess kind of boring in a way whenever you just kind of know they're going to give up 17 points. There's no mystery there whenever they're playing against these run-heavy teams. So my question from you, from you after watching this game, did you think the Dolphins did anything particularly well at all in this one? Yeah, they did one thing well, which really kind of shocked me, is that they used J.J. Watt against himself. They allowed Watt to get up the field, and they took advantage of that. They did it on several occasions. It, it became a kind of boomer bust thing as well, because Watt's either going to blow up the play, or he's going to come up the field too far. They're going to cut in underneath him and take advantage of that. And they were able to do that a couple times. But it's not like Watt had a bad game either. But I was, it was really um, – it was – it was really wonderful to watch. It was a great game plan to say, we're going to go right after your, you know, one of the best, you know, against the run defensive ends in the NFL. And we're going to let him come up the field and we're going to take advantage of that. I was fascinated by it, Big Matt. Yeah. Yeah. They did a really good job pulling. And I know like he had that, those first two drives, he dismantled on his own where he beat Juan James threw about half of them swim and summon that tackle for a loss. He had that great sack where he, I mean, I, that get-off he had that sack against James was something that 255-pound edge rushers are jealous of. And James, like, tackled him and wrapped him around, and uh, while was still able to make the sack. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think they did a good job letting him come upfield and then cut back against him and then also pull. And then also, like, their blockers, they kind of just stepped on the inside gap and then opened up the other way, just pushed him past the running back and kind of let him, you know, come upfield as much as they did. Yeah, it – and just you know, we're too talking about our, our against the run, our, our run defense. Is how sick is it? You know, if we had one more guy, God, I wish we would have gotten. Um, who am I thinking of? He's been bouncing at Richardson, uh, Sheldon Richardson. I wish we would have gotten him a couple of years ago. But Watt, Clowney, Merciless, who's a far better against uh, uh, the run than he is getting to the quarterback. DJ Reader, McKinney. Cunningham when he's actually tackling people, tackling people that, Oh, and look at uh, Kareem Jackson at safety. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the best tackling safeties there is in the game. That is a really sick run defense. It's fun to watch. Yeah. And Jackson had some awesome tackles in this game against Gillisley, the Dolphins rookie tied in. We're like, it looked like a car wreck where Gillisley like has his legs or like, <laughs> He looked like whenever you play Grand Theft Auto and you drive 120 miles per hour and hit a polygon and they flip and spin, you know, 100 feet in the air over your car. Uh, Jackson was awesome 
in, in tackling this game and coming up and cleaning up the run game too. But all that being said, and like as pompous as my intro was, you know, after this break, I do think the Dolphins ran the ball bet, you know, pretty well too. Uh, Kenyon Drake's like a, like an actual athlete. You know, he's a really good running back. He was fun to watch. He broke some big runs. Frank Gore is purely like a vertical running runner. He's more of a running back coach than a running back, just the way he plays the game, where he knows the right spot. He's going to fall forward. His legs are never going to stop. But he's not going to break any tackles in the open field. He offers nothing in the pass game, too. So I thought the Dolphins played offensively, offensively with the quarterback they have about as good as they can. But, uh, you know, I was, I was a little bit surprised by how well they ran the ball against Houston. And uh, but overall, though, like it was, it was pretty ho-hum. And, you know, it took a, a wide receiver touchdown pass to make the same close again, too. Yeah, yeah. they averaged 4.7 yards a carry, which shocked me. But, again, they, they got a lot kind of early. And as the game went on, they were hurt by it. They were not doing as well. So, they yeah. the Texans did. Yeah, and the one thing that really upset me about this game defensively, you know, aside from Joseph getting hurt and Cunningham leaving, was the name-redacted fumble that was disallowed. Where, you know, like watching it again, I mean, it's super close to tell, and it's hard to, it's hard to really say one way or the other. It's more like I wish we lived in a world where that was a no-brainer fumble rather than having to actually sit there and think about it. And it was also like the universe became completely round and circular and perfect and offered this perfect moment, and the, the referees didn't allow it to happen. Or after Namor Dax had that fumble on prime time, where he threw the ball farther than his average, he threw a fumble farther than his average pass attempt against Denver. He did the same thing in Houston against the Texans. And also, it reminded me a, a lot last year, whenever the Texans are playing the Rams, where TJ Yates comes in for Tom Savage and throws a pick six at the red, in the red zone, where there was a defensive holding penalty that didn't allow the pick six to count. And it was like, oh, I just want this thing to happen so badly because it's so round, perfect. And it's just like what happened once before. And the refs took it away, sadly enough, too. Yeah, and so we uh, read a question from Teshin Army thirty four ninety five. Does Osweiler now claim the Thrumble Throne? The answer is, oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that was a Thrumble. I don't care what anybody says. I, you can get your legal mumbo jumbo out of the NFL referee guidebook. That was a Thrumble. It should have been a Thrumble. It was clearly a Thrumble. You know. As, once again, as Texans fans, after watching Brock Osweiler play football for almost a full year, we really deserve that. We, we deserve that little bit of, of Brock and Freud. Yeah, I like, I like that, Brock and Freud. We deserved it. So yeah. I'm upset. I'm still upset. That's the thing I'm most upset about <laughs> for the injuries. Yeah. On Thursday's game. <laughs> yeah, because that, that was beautiful. It was perfect. Uh, it really doesn't get any better seeing something like that. You know, something so round and, and enjoyable occur, but uh, oh well. And, you know, I think that, that trademark bad quarterback thing is always a lot of fun where you have Keenum as the Keenum where he gets sacked for, you know, 14 <laughs> yards. You have uh, Ryan Mallett where he throws the ball really hard so my three yards away. You have Tom Savage, you know, getting sacked a bunch because he can't move in the pocket and his brain is, you know, really slow. And then you have the Ryan Fitzpatrick helmet interceptions. And so I always like whenever players have their trademark, even if it's on the grotesque and uh, putrid, you know, level of the scale too. It's a beautiful thing to behold. So the, this, the, other, the sad things that we keep alluding to that we haven't talked about yet, 
is that Jonathan Joseph sprained, had a high ankle sprain and a knee sprain. And what happened was Jadavion Clowney ran back to make a tackle on the screen, rolled up over onto Joseph uh, and came on the back of his legs. And something you see happen to offensive linemen all the time where it looks like they just got shot in the back while they're running away from, uh, I don't know, like after they committed robbery or something like the 1800s. And they usually get up though. Like it always is really scary whenever it happens, but a lot of times you don't get hurt from it. But Joseph being a smaller guy, uh, actually ended up being hurt from Clooney rolling up on him. So they say he's going to be out for a few weeks. He's not going to play against Denver. Uh, luckily, next week's the bye week, so he may possibly play against Washington already. And then Zach Cunningham, it said that he should play this week on Sunday night whenever I checked everything. But then today, after going back and look at it, Aaron Wilson reported he's going to be out for a few weeks too. So Houston's going to be without Joseph. They're going to be out without uh, Zach Cunningham too. So BFD, how do you think they're going to – I get over both of these injuries that they had happened in this game. Well, uh, you know, as far as someone who can replace Zach Cunningham, we're going to see a lot of Brendan Scarlett, um, like we did um, on Thursday. Jonathan Joseph, I just, we're going to throw guys like Sharice Wright out there. It, it, we're just really lucky that our next game is against. Um, uh, the Denver Broncos and Case Keenum. We're lucky that the next game after that is against uh, Alex Smith and, and Washington. And we're lucky that Marcus Mariota still is not being used effectively. The Houston Texans regular season cannot be any luckier considering our strengths and our weaknesses right now, especially defensively, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they also put a lot of Callum Bayi on the inside too. He was a six round pick from Stanford. He played a lot inside linebacker. So then you're just going to see a lot of Scarlett and a lot of him. And really, like, that's probably kind of, like, the least important position on the team in a way because, you know, with everybody else in front of him with that defensive line, also uh, Benarger McKinney next to you, like, all you have to do is just make, you know, five or six tackles a game, which are going to be wide open for you. And whenever the running back comes to you and you're going to be unblocked a lot of times, you just have to wrap them, make your tackles. And, you know, as much as you talk about Scarlett not being a very good pass rusher, uh, he's, a, he's a good tackler. And I haven't watched enough of Callum Bayi. I didn't like him that much out of college. I thought he was a limited athlete as an edge rusher. But on the inside, he may be a little bit better suited for that position too. And then you still have the ability to use Whitney Merciless and J.D. Clown in the inside to kind of help out without uh, Zach Cunningham being there too. But, yeah, I don't really see how they replaced Joseph. I think Joseph was another guy who really benefited from the schedule too where he was able to play five yards off and not to worry about getting burned downfield at all. I think the best – receiver he had to cover uh this entire like this last during this five game winning streak was Devontae Parker Miami and before that was probably like I don't know Michael Gallup Zay Jones you know he really hasn't had to do has he really hasn't had much difficulty for the players that he faced and so this week you have better receivers with Emmanuel Sanders with Sutton uh the Broncos tight ends or whatever their running backs are good out of the backfield but they really won't attack the cornerbacks either Washington has a few guys here and there, but really it's going to be the same sort of thing. The, the pass defense really won't be affected that much for coverage-wise, and they should be able to hold up until the playoffs happen. So I, I think what you said, it's going to be a lot of Sharice Wright. It's also going to be a lot of guys that I don't even know even existed. You're like, oh, who's that guy? He's going to play seven snaps and get burnt, and then you won't see him ever again. He'll be in some nameless grave somewhere, and that will kind of happen too while Joseph is out as, uh, as teams – you know, gets a Houston's, you know, seventh and eighth or ninth cornerbacks. 
Right. So it's time to get excited about Mike Tyson. Yeah. Who, who played a lot of snaps on Thursday. And it's time to get excited about Nate Charles Jamerson, uh, who was a New Orleans fifth round pick. Uh, Tyson got 61 snaps. Jamerson got 56 snaps on Thursday. That's who we're playing in our secondary right now. So it, it goes back to once again, we're just fortunate that we were playing against teams who can't actually throw the ball because, you know, these are uh, – Jamerson was a fifth-round pick. Tyson was a sixth-round pick by Seattle. These are guys who are, who are at the low end of the total ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I also I think the one thing they'll do to help coverage is certainly play a lot more three safeties. Yeah. I think you're going to see a lot more Kareem Jackson, Justin Reed, Tyron Matthews sets too because those are their three best defensive backs. And even Justin Reed playing at cornerback, Matthew playing in the slot, Kareem Jackson playing at cornerback is a better option than you know Tyson and Jamerson. And I do think Jamerson played pretty well last game too. Uh, he, he made some plays on the ball. I think he had a sack as well. He wasn't torched deep or anything like that. But uh, it's going to be a continued you know, thing. And, again, the most important part of this defense is the pass rush. Where the pass rush is going, this is a, a top you know three defense or whatever. Whenever it isn't going, it's a top 10 defense because of how good they are at stopping the run. And the biggest difference in the defense between the three-game losing streak and today is, one, they're putting their corners closer, and the reason why they're able to is because the pass rush has been as good as it is. And they don't have to really worry about those longer routes where uh, guys can get beat deep. But whenever the pass rush slows down and Juan Clay get tired, uh, that's whenever they really kind of had, had their struggles. And, again, luckily they're playing uh, against a bunch of teams who can't throw the football a whole lot. So that whole thing will continue to happen. And I know we've said that like seven times, but it's probably kind of, it's probably the most important thing about the season right now. Yeah, and I think we're, what you're going to see is you're going to see Jackson's going to come in and play a lot at cornerback and – Tyson, so you're going to have Tyson, Jackson, Batamosi got snaps. Wow. We're going to – seriously, our cornerbacks. Do you play cornerback at all, Big Matt? No, never, never will. <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead and move on. <laughs> all right. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll actually talk about Case Keenum this time. All right, and we're back. So this week the Houston Texans play the Denver Broncos, who are 3-5, and five, and they just lost the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, they lost 30-20, and they were down by more than that, but they got some kind of garbage time points and made the game closer than it actually was. So after last week, they played one of their older spurn lovers and name redacted. Now they're playing another spurn lover in Case Keenum. This is a Case Keenum who Bill O'Brien looked in the eyes and said, you will never be more than a third-round quarterback. He now received a, a big free agent contract to play in Denver for at least two years who was number one in passing offense uh, DVOA last year in Minnesota and also won a playoff game with one of the great NFL playoff miracles, but also lost the game probably because of his pick six against the Eagles that uh, kind of dismantled everything from there. I feel like I said Eagles in the divisional round where the miracle happened, but it was, of course, against the Saints. Uh, So Keenum this year, he's regressed a lot to the mean, and who knew that not throwing the ball to Alan Thielen and Stephon Diggs the lead to this happening. So last year, like I mentioned, he was first in pass offense DVOA. This year, his interception rate has jumped from 1.5% to 3.5%. His sack rate from 4.4% to 7.1%. Uh, so, BFD, what's been up with Keenum this year? Well, he's Case Keenum. <laughs> that, that's what's been up with him. I mean, he had one season. Look, if you look at his stats, if you look at his stats, he – his um, 
uh, QB rating this year is something like 83. His lifetime QB rating is something like 83. Last year, he has a QB rating of like 98. Which one is the outlier? And, and for people, I still see it. People say Case Keenum is, is still a great quarterback. And you base that on one season out of seven. That's a complete and total outlier. If you have listened to the show at all and think Case Keenum is a good quarterback, you haven't learned a thing from us. And I just don't know how to put it. I can't put that even delicately. Case <laughs> Keenum is a third-string quarterback. He still is. He was never anything different. One year of being an outlier does not make it different. You can only throw hot air balloons to your wide receivers that take so long to come down. They're covered in ice. By the time the wide receiver catch him, you can only do that for one year. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened last year when he happened to be throwing to Thielen and Stephon Diggs. And my goodness, doesn't Kirk Cousins look really good throwing to those guys, Big Matt? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and my thing with, with Keenum, like I love watching Keenum play last year. Like I love the hot air blown deep throughs. I love watching you know, Thielen go up and get it. Uh, Stephon Diggs is wild route running. And – Keenum was, you know, the most efficient quarterback in football last year. He was awesome last year. And so even though he's bad this year again, it shouldn't take away how good he was last year. And now, you know, the horse carriage is in the carriage anymore. It's a giant pumpkin. Uh, I don't have luscious glowing locks. The only more got snakes in my head. But that doesn't take away from what last year was when he was spectacular. The problem with Case Keenum, though, if you're the Denver Broncos – is that you didn't realize Case Keenum playing in this offense with these players, and also just natural regression is sixteen in a you know I guess he I think he started uh, twelve games last year in a sixteen in a new sixteen game season. You, they didn't expect this expect they didn't expect this regression to happen, and that's the problem with the Broncos and Case Keenum. It's not really Keenum himself; it's more of what John Elway decided to do with him, and they're going to be stuck with him for one more year. This year, I think also the problem with Keenum, too, is he's reverted back to kind of his older mistakes where uh, he's, one, you know, he's still throwing the ball downfield all right enough, but he's making a lot of dumb throws, he's making a lot of dumb mistakes. He's throwing way too many interceptions. That Ravens game was hideous how stupid some of the things he did. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It was like watching a rookie quarterback out there, not a 32-year-old man or 33-year-old man, however old Keenum is. And then also his pocket presence is terrible again. Before, you know, the one problem with him was he kept backing up in the pocket and trying to turn and Russell Wilson outrun guys who are like a second faster than him. And last year in Minnesota, he finally learned to step up in the pocket and throw the ball downfield and just like get close enough to his great receivers. And this year, once again, he's turning around, trying to outrun guys. He's making these bad back shoulder throws. He's not climbing the pocket anymore. And it's really, you know, affected and hurt his play. And how much of that was just better coaching last year and better receivers last year? and a better pass-blocking offensive line, I don't know. But what I do know is that Keenum's back to doing the dumb things that led to him uh, getting cut and released and being told he's only a third-string quarterback. Yeah, so, I mean, again, let's look at it. He's got 10 interceptions and 10 TDs this year. He's the only quarterback in the NFL to throw an interception in every game this year. That's pretty good. Yeah. I think he threw seven interceptions last year, too, in the whole yeah, year. Yeah, all year. You know, he, he was never good, and it's, it's really funny for people to think that he was, but he is just really, truly an awful quarterback. Uh, he's a third-string <laughs> quarterback, and there's no, there's no nice way to put it. Just because 
just because you have one season when you don't suck with the what's turning out to be a fantastic one. Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, Rudolph at tight end. These are some really good wide receivers with really sticky hands who were, um, you know, keeping him going last year. He's just been a nightmare. And my favorite is his, he's really brought, brought the uh, Keenum back into style. Those 12, 14 yard sacks. They are beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things I wrote was that Keenum thing where I looked at every sack, I think since like 1960, whatever. And then just took one standard deviation from the mean found out it was like, any sack greater than seven yards with one standard deviation from the mean. And Case Keenum had the highest uh, greater than seven-yard sack rate in all of football going back to 1960. So if you ever see a sack greater than seven yards, make sure you call it a Keenum because that's what it is. Oh, my gosh. And they're so entertaining. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They are really fun. My favorite one was the one he had against the Cardinals in 2013 during that lost year. Oh, my that gosh. That great and terrible year where he was sacked, I think, for 30 yards, where he turned and tried to run away from Calais Campbell facing the end zone, and facing his own end zone, and that was just so unbelievable. Just hear the theme to Benny Hill in your mind as you watch that play. Yeah, or the Halloween theme song, uh, since we're <laughs> one day away from the witches coming out, you know. <laughs> uh, so I guess that's, that's enough about Keenum. The one thing that's interesting about the Broncos' offense is that they run the ball really well. They're second offense rush uh, DVOA, and they're playing against the best run defense DVOA. So that's, that's kind of the matchup here is if the Broncos can run the ball against Houston. My answer is going to be no, because nobody can really run the ball against Houston. But there's also an interesting dichotomy here for the Broncos where they can run block really well. Paradise is a great center. Uh, they lost Ronald Leary, but also their tackles block well too. Uh, Bowles is a really bad pass blocker, but he's a good run blocker. He constantly holds as well. And it's going to be fun to watch Davion Clowney go up against him and watch Bowles just kind of tackle and stab and punch him as much as he can. But uh, there's a big dichotomy there. So his offense team has been sacked. A lot of that, some of it's self-inflicted, but also the pass blocking isn't as good as it was in Minnesota. But they do run block really well, though. They're a good outside zone blocking team. They block the second levels really well. And so it's going to be kind of the, the marquee matchup, and I guess the most important thing in this game is that the Broncos are actually be able to uh, run the football at all whatsoever. So, can they run the football against Houston in this game? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go out on a very short limb and say no. Um, I think they will learn some things from what the Dolphins did on Thursday that will help them. But I seriously, this – I've been thinking about this a lot lately, is that if I go back in my mind's eye and think about the best – run defense teams I can remember. It's like the 85 Bears, the 2000 Ravens. I mean, we're talking like that level of elite against these teams, just purely from, not necessarily from a statistical standpoint, but from a personnel standpoint. And, you know, there are some Oilers teams that were really good, Brazil and Culp and things like that, and Greg Bingham. Dang, this – Texans defense against the run is just so elite. I don't think, you know, normally the better offense beats the better defense. Historically, that's true. But when it comes to stopping the run, I don't think anybody beats the Texans, Big Matt. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think Bron the Broncos will run the ball very well at all. Uh, I do like watching the Broncos run offense, though. It's, it's one, like, because I, I, what I try to do when I watch football is I watch the Texans live and I go for a walk. I, you know, scratch the dog or whatever, you know. 
And then <laughs> Is that what you call it? <laughs> that's what I call it. <laughs> yeah, I scratch I scratch the dog and the <laughs> and then I go do whatever and I come back and I watch the condensed version. So I would try to watch every week, every game every week, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And so I probably watched you know, four or five Broncos games and watching their run defense has always been a lot of fun. And they have, you know, Booker, they have Foreman, they have Philip Lindsay. And so they have a, a three-headed rushing attack. I know Booker doesn't play as much as Foreman does, and Lindsay's kind of the number one back they have now there. But they're all, they're all three you know, good running backs, and they can all catch passes out of the backfield. And they, you know, they run the ball well. And so I, I'm excited to watch this matchup, even though I don't think the Broncos will do much with it. No, I have no fear about that offense. I just I, – I can't wait. Big Matt, I can't wait until the Texans are putting, like, 11 guys in the box and letting Case Keenum try to find a wide receiver <laughs> open. I just yeah. – <laughs> I'm also – like, and I'm also excited, too, for this game, just in the fact that, like, I love Houston-Denver at 3 o'clock. Like ever since that Matt Shop 2012 game when his ear got removed, like I always like I, I just have nostal- such nostalgia for that game. I know we talked a little bit last week that Jaguars game was a was a, one of the big wins that we've ever or one of the wins that we've ever like really enjoyed. And I think like regular season that's in the top three for me was that uh, winning against the Broncos and Pay Manning or you know Shop found Andre Johnson deep twice and they went up early and uh, Shop had his ear removed like in, like Mike Tyson. And so I'm, I'm super excited for this game, one, for the nostalgia of it. And two, like in the thin air and Keenum at home with the Texans quarterbacks, like Keenum should have the chance to step up in the pocket and make some downfield throws. And so even if Denver can't run the ball very well, uh, there's still kind of like some lottery, some wild card uh, action here for Keenum if he can, you know, find, you know, uh, open receivers downfield two to three times because they're going to be able to get open. Uh, there's not really any question all about that. It's just going to be if Keenum can actually make those throws rather than throw interceptions. Yeah, that was Brandon Marshall, if I remember correctly, that took off Schaub's ear. Yeah. And uh, I, I – yeah. Yeah, that was terrible. That was just gross. Yeah. Anything else, that was really grody. No, I mean, that um, – so here's the question from Big Matt. On Miller, Nick Chubb, Shane Ray, Shaquille Barrett, these edge rushers all range from fine to super – Super Bowl clinching Hall of Famer. How concerned are you? Like, really concerned? <laughs> like, these guys are – I mean, Shane Ray's okay, but Miller, Chubb, and Barrett are pretty freaky. Yeah. So, when we start talking about, you know, what does this game look like when we you know, talk about, you know, if, if um, the Broncos can run against our front and about these four guys – Pretty terrifying. This is going to be a really fascinating game on a lot of levels because we match up against their strengths so well, and we don't match up against their strengths so well. But yet, I see a win. Yeah, yeah. I, I also like these four pass rushers are a lot of fun to watch too. I know it's kind of a weird thing about the Chubb pick for the Broncos because Shaquille Barrett was an awesome edge rusher last year. That's also kind of those things too that you can't have enough edge rushers out there. Uh, but, you know, Chubb's a really good, like, long arm, uh, kind of bull, bull rush sort of guy. He reminds me of Yannick Ngakwe a lot with how he rushes the passer. It's a lot of ribs. It's a lot of long arms and extensions. Uh, Ray's fine. He's better as a stunt guy than he is as a, as a one versus one in this offensive tackle rusher. Shaquille Barrett is like a, a shoddy version of Von Miller, which is 
such a high compliment. And Von Miller is like one of the you know all time great edge rushers. Like I'll never forget that he won a Super Bowl by himself in 2015, and it was spectacular what he was able to do against the Ravens, against the Ravens, Patriots, and uh, Panthers during that run that they had. And they didn't win that Super Bowl because of Peyton Manning. They won that Super Bowl because of Von Miller. And so watching all four of these guys come together to go against you know, Kendall Lamb and Davenport and Manx or Fulton, no matter who plays, Kelmente and Martin, uh, is going to be kind of like the key here for this game. And it's also interesting to see if O'Brien continues to do what he learned the past few weeks, continues to help out his tackles on the edge, continues running the cool offense. And I'm also interested to see if the Texans actually utilize Watson as a runner more often this game now that he can actually fly in the airplane, doesn't take the bus. And so if they use him as a runner, I think that's the game to the next thing that's going to push this offense up another notch to like the best level it can be whenever Watson can actually take off and run for nine yards on fake handoffs and then which will just help make the play action pass even better too. Yeah, because that's got to be the number one priority is keeping Deshaun Watson clean this game. I mean, you have to devote the resources. That's where the, the matchups are going to be a problem. Chris Harris, I don't know who was watching the uh, Broncos-Chiefs game. Chris Harris, kind of, he had the angle, but he kind of caught Tyreek Hill from behind. <laughs> that was craziness. That's scary. That's fast. That's, that's your inside slot guy who is making plays down the field he should have no business playing. I mean, that, was, that play was up there over the weekend defensively as uh, with uh, Clowney making that play against the screen where Joseph got hurt, where not only did he have the awareness to see that was a screen happening, but he had the physical ability to get back and do something about it. That was yeah. that Chris Harris play. It was crazy good. Yeah, I mean, and I'm excited to watch the condensed version. I watched a little bit of that game on a casino. I was more focused on the Redskins-Giants game on Sunday. As we bet on the, Reds- we bet on the Redskins – with the spread, and then we also doubled down on halftime. We won like 150 bucks off that game because the line was only one for that Redskins Giants game, which was unbelievably weird. And then Peterson <laughs> broke that run, and my brother and I had a good time with that. Uh, so I'm excited to go back and watch that game. But one of the things I know about Harris since I've been watching the Broncos this year is a lot of the times this season he's been the best player on the field, both offensively and you know whenever you look at the opponent's offense, the Broncos defense. He's been the best player in the field, and he's been better than Bob Miller has been this year too, I think, at times. I think Miller's one of those guys that whenever things are going really well, he's spectacular. But whenever Case Keenum's throwing interceptions, I think he kind of slows down some and doesn't uh, constantly bring that effort all the time. I think he's – now I wouldn't say fair weather is the right word, but he's better whenever the team is better, and he's able to kind of get up to those higher levels and reach you know, that, oh, my God, he's one of the best edge rushers of all time level compared to just being, you know, really good. And there's a, it doesn't sound like there's that much difference between the two, but it's a huge difference. But I think Chris Harris can, no matter what's going on, he's one of the best players in the field. He is a joy to watch. I remember a couple of years ago when Brett did that kind of special on him. Yeah, like 14 or something like that. Yeah, wow. He's Chris Harris is special. Yeah, I liked, it, I liked it when Brett wrote. I'm not a big video person, but I miss it whenever he wrote things. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's all. That's all I have to talk about for this game. So, what's your prediction for this one? I think it's going to be a close one, but I am I am absolutely confident that the Texans can win it, which means I'm jinxing the team. I'm going to say 23, three field goals, two touchdowns, to 17. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I have Houston winning. Um, 
I don't know. I'll say 24-20 because I think it's going to be a one-possession game. I'm just going to say they're all going to be one-possession games until even as it, it's kind of changed. But the Broncos aren't like the Dolphins where they have actual really top talent. Uh, they're limited by their quarterback, but they've still almost beat the Chiefs. Case Keenum missed a game-winning touchdown throw. And with the secondary, it's hard to expect for as many Keenum turnovers. I don't know if they'll run the ball, but I'm expecting a better game from Keenum against uh, Houston's secondary. And also, like, with the pass rush the Broncos have, like, it's still a, a really great pass rush and super talented. And with their tackle situation, I think the Broncos give them more than enough trouble. But I think the Texans are a little bit better overall. And the thing that the Broncos do best offensively plays against what the Texans do best defensively. And their run defense has been better than every run offense that they face so far. So I have Houston winning 24-20. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think it's going to be a close game. And – Especially in, in Denver. Denver's a tough place to play, and that front has gone through Denver. So, we have a, yeah, it's snowing right now in Denver. Oh, I had to pull that up. Yeah, so it's going to be cold. People, the teams are going to have to run the ball, and I don't think Denver succeeds at it. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for tonight's show. Uh, thank you for listening. Well, we're, we're trying to set up where we can listen, where you can listen live. That's how you prefer. If you miss the old days of a blog talk, I know I don't, but. Uh, I do like the ability to listen for everybody listening live and once to ask questions as the show goes on. And we'll try to get, get that taken care of, give that an option to you as the listener. Um, but anyways, thank you for listening. Whoever, I don't know what I'm saying right now. I've, I don't feel too well. Uh, but thank you for listening and thank you for being on tonight, BFD. And my name is Tom West and thank you for listening to All Red Radio. And we'll have a week nine preview show for Thursday night, early Friday morning. And then next week we'll have a show on Tuesday. I talked with Luke about maybe doing a, a mid-season review show, and then we'll also do a preview next week too. So we may have up to three episodes next week, which would be uh, fun to do as well. But uh, until next time, my name's Mel West, and thank you for listening to Mel Red Radio. Woo! Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.